So would God tolerate an activity in, and exercise in heaven that is futile or irrational? Would he tolerate it? If there was no benefit to us, would he have us worshipping him continuously? It'd be a waste of time. It'd be like, well, you know, you're better off going out and digging in your heavenly garden and planting some heavenly vegetables than, you know, if it's a waste of time, if it's futile. So there must be a reason God wants us in worship, and it's not for his ego either. It's not so that God gets a bigger ego, because I've heard atheists say that. What sort of a God is this, that he just wants his people just to worship him day and night? There's more to it. There's more to it. It's, our worship is going to benefit us. And it blesses him, of course. It's an expression of love towards our Holy Father, but it's also a blessing to us as well. If the highest function of angelic hosts is praise and worship, it follows logically that the highest function of the human spirit, the highest function, the most supreme function of the human spirit must also be praise and worship. Ever-increasing approximation. Ever-increasing approximation. What's that mean? Getting closer and closer and closer to God. Because as you worship Him, he, you draw close to Him. And as you draw close to Him, He draws closer, closer to you. Doesn't He? That's what praise does. Is It connects us with our Father. That's why any church that is any, any worth at all has an emphasis on praise and worship. Right throughout the last 2,000 years. It's always, you read, the, uh, even back in the Anti-Nicene Fathers, the disciples of the original apostles, and they're all, they all uh, met together and entered into worship. And it was always musical worship. Ever-increasing approximation to the infinitely lovely character of God is the most sublime goal of all creation. How's that? What that means is you become like the Father. You become like the Son as you worship him, as you get closer to him, as you, as you lift up his name, he makes you more and more like himself because you, you, you become connected to him at a level that you can't any other way. There's no other way to get that close to God. All right, so Acts 4.23. No, John. Get out of Acts. <laughs> Andy read a lot of Acts for us today. <laughs> it's really funny when you're trying to follow the... It doesn't match up, you know. I know there's different translations, but this is ridiculous. <laughs> 4.23. and it says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. And I think the key word there is must. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship him in spirit and truth. So what does that mean? Spirit and truth. We can read that and we can sort of go, okay, we've got to worship in spirit and truth. So how do you worship in spirit and how do you worship in truth? And this is the, this is the essence of what I want to talk about today. And uh, so I'm just going to firstly, I'm just going to read from uh, some quotes from a book um, from a, a guy by the name of Paul Bilheim. And he wrote a book called Destined for the Throne. It's quite an interesting read. Anyone read it, Destined for the Throne? Um, quite a powerful book, if you ever get a chance. Um, have a read. But firstly, we'll just look at Revelation 4.8. It's not preaching like this. Is. It all looks so much better for some reason. You're bunched together. It's the chairs. They keep your posture up or something. <laughs> Straight back. <laughs> Right, verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 8. And it says, Each of the four living creatures... Now, this is before the throne of God. 
Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Straight away you get this picture of these angels with six wings and it's bizarre because if we, you know, apart from an insect that has like four wings, have you ever seen a six-winged insect? We know of four wings. Is there a six-winged in insect? You know, it's, it's very hard to comprehend because we're so used to two-winged everything and even all the pictures of, of angels are usually two-winged, aren't they? But here we've got six wings, so there's a bizarre creature straight away and each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes, eyes everywhere, which means you can't sneak up on this angel. He'll see you. We got two eyes and we get, you know, vision to about there. But these angels have wings underneath, above, all around. They're seeing everything. They're all seeing angels. Sort of like God. God's vested them with that power. Because God is all seeing. God has eyes in every point of the universe. God, God has eyes everywhere. We can't go anywhere. They think Big Brother can watch us, but no one watches us like God. Big Brother's just trying to, you know, he's an imposter. He's trying to be God. He's trying to be an all-seeing God. But only God sees everything. Amen. But these angels have eyes everywhere. Now, something about when you have eyes to see, that it's sort of, in a sense, similar to wisdom, isn't it? When you have eyes to see, if you can see clearly, you see with wisdom. You can see life very, very clearly, right? So these angels are vested with lots of sight. So great wisdom have these angels. And they stand continuously before God. Wow. <laughs> so they're hearing every word that is uttered from the mouth of God continuously. There's not a moment where God says anything that these angels don't hear. They're continually around God. And what, are they, what does it say about these angels? Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They never stop saying how holy God is. They never stop lifting up his name. They never stop glorifying him. They're on, his, on their knees pretty much day and night, honouring him with everything in their being. Now my question to you is, are they taking part in a futile activity? Just praising God. Sometimes we can think praise is, oh yeah, let's get through the praise and then we'll get on to the service, as I've said a few times before. Let's, you know, let's get that part out of the way because we're really here to hear the message. But these angels, they're continually praising God. Now, there must be something in worship and praise that is beyond our comprehension. Something must happen as we worship him continuously, as we praise him continuously. Something must change in here. Amen? Because why would the wisest angels in heaven be on their knees continually praising him? And worshiping him. And what do they say? Holy, holy, holy. Two different references there. Holy God the Father, holy God the Son, holy God the Holy Spirit, holy, holy, holy. Trinity, right there. Or they're also saying, not or, they are also saying, we can only ever attain to holiness in this life. God is so holy. He's holy, holy, holy multiplied holiness upon holiness there's this he is so holy it's he's infinitely all holy and we worship the most holy god in all the universe and that's why they always saying they're not saying love 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 are they even though god is a god of love they're saying holy 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 you know it even says in the scriptures, if you love God, you will obey his commands. If you truly love him, you will obey him. And if you obey him, guess what? You're holy. Because in obedience, you're holy. 
If you're disobedient, you're unholy. You're sinful. Amen? So, Paul Bilheimer said this, For some reason the church at large has underestimated the importance of praise. And we can add praise and worship. Many have the idea, or have had the idea, that praise is a beautiful aesthetic exercise but has little practical value. But if praise is the highest occupation of angels, there must be some valid reason for it. If heaven considers it important to maintain a chorus of praise unceasingly day and night around the throne, it must be supremely efficacious. And efficacious, unusual word, it's, it means successful in producing a desired or intended result. It's, it must be successful in producing a result, a desired or intended result. So would God tolerate an activity in, and exercise in heaven that is futile or irrational? Would he tolerate it? If there was no benefit to us, would he have us worshipping him continuously? It'd be a waste of time. It'd be like, well, you know, you're better off going out and digging in your heavenly garden and planting some heavenly vegetables than, you know, if it's a waste of time, if it's futile. So there must be a reason God wants us in worship, and it's not for his ego either. It's not so that God gets a bigger ego, because I've heard atheists say that. What sort of a God is this, that he just wants his people just to worship him day and night? There's more to it. There's more to it. It's, our worship is going to benefit us. And it blesses him, of course. It's an expression of love towards our Holy Father, but it's also a blessing to us as well. If the highest function of angelic hosts is praise and worship. It follows logically that the highest function of the human spirit, the highest function, the most supreme function of the human spirit must also be praise and worship. Ever-increasing approximation. Ever-increasing approximation. What's that mean? Getting closer and closer and closer to God because as you worship him, he, you draw close to him. And as you draw close to him, he draws closer, closer to you. Doesn't he? That's what praise does, is it connects us with our Father. That's why any church that is any, any worth at all has an emphasis on praise and worship. Right throughout the last 2,000 years. It's always, you read, the, uh, even back in the Anti-Nicene Fathers, the disciples of the original apostles, and they're all, they all uh, met together and entered into worship. And it was always musical worship. Ever-increasing approximation to the infinitely lovely character of God is the most sublime goal of all creation. How's that? Ever-increasing approximation to the infinitely lovely character of God is the sublime, most sublime goal of all creation. What that means is you become like the Father. You become like the Son as you worship him, as you get closer to him, as you, as you lift up his name, he makes you more and more like himself because you, you, you become connected to him at a level that you can't any other way. There's no other way to get that close to God. You know? We should all be playing worship music in our cars. And we should all be worshipping as we're driving around. We should be lifting up the name of the Lord and praising him and worshipping him. Become a church of worshippers because they are the kind of people the Father seeks. Worshippers, those that worship him in spirit and in truth. They're the kinds he's, he's looking for. That's what he wants from you. And as you do that, guess what? Every other care in the world just drops to the side and it's all about God and you forget all about self as we become true worshippers. Paul Bilheimer also said, just as in antagonism and hostility and cursing against God exercises and strengthens all that is most abominable, diabolical and base in the human spirit, just as all the, 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 these terrible things, hostility and cursing against God can make us turn into very, very evil creatures, so worship and praise of the infinitely lovely character of God or God exercises, reinforces and strengthens all that is most sublime, transcendent and divine in the inner being. So if you want all those good qualities to come out of you, 
worship the Father and worship Him at every opportunity. Lift up His name at every opportunity. Praise Him. Exalt Him. And He'll keep drawing you close to Him. Thus, as one worships and praises, He is continually transformed step by step from glory to glory into the image of the infinitely glorious God. Therefore, praise is the most useful occupation and activity in enabling God to realize the supreme goal of the universe and that of bringing many sons unto glory. That's how he brings his sons and daughters unto glory, through praise. He draws us close in praise. You know, if all we do in our, in our um, week is just pray, but we don't enter into worship, we miss out on a, on a huge element of our faith. A huge element. And you know what? Once you start entering into worship during your prayer time, you'll find that the time will fly. Who's had that experience? You know, you just start to lift up his name and you start to glorify him and you can spend 20 minutes to half an hour easily. And then guess what? Suddenly you pray easy. It's like the worship gives us the breakthrough. We've been trying to, uh, you know, with, with just prayer, what we're trying to do is just go straight into that serious mode of prayer and if we neglect the worship, we can struggle even to get a word out of our mouth. But if you, you know, put on a Christian CD or, uh, or uh, just start singing a song in your, from your head or whatever and you just start to praise him, all of a sudden, guess what? Words start coming out of your mouth. You start opening up to God. It starts to release. The Spirit of God comes bubbling forth and rivers start to flow out of us. Amen? That's where it is. That's how we tap it. We tap it in worship. And I encourage you all, start worshipping God. You know, too many of us listen to worldly music. So easy to get in the car and flick on the radio and start listening to some, you know, uh, someone singing about sex and rock and roll and dancing all night and partying and drinking and, and drugs and, and killing and whatever else you listen to on the radio. They sing about every diabolical thing. And what does it say here? Just as antagonism and hostility and cursing against God. You could be singing along with a song from someone who's actually laced through the lyrics of that song, curses against God, and because you're not really analysing what you're singing, you could be singing curses. You know, we've got to be really careful what we listen to. And, I, you know, I've, I've, I fall for it all the time. You know, listening to, you know, rock and roll and stuff like that, all the music that we grew up with, because it's catchy, isn't it? You know, you like it. Hearing the guitars riffing away and, you know, some, someone you know, singing with an incredible voice like Elvis Presley or someone like that, you know. Who doesn't like Elvis Presley's voice? If only he was a Christian. Don't believe what they say about him being a Christian. That was a cover-up. They announced him as a Christian to win the Christians of America, but he wasn't Christian. He was the furthest thing from it. And he always had to sing one gospel song on every album because they said, to sing a gospel song on every album, that way you win the youth and you win the Christians, you know, because they think, oh, he's a, he's a man of God. He's singing a gospel song. But he wasn't. He was a deceiver, a wolf in sheep's clothing. So we've got to sing praises to God. So we've got to listen to, you know, uh, put music on, Christian music, really great stuff, stuff that's going to lift us up. I, I just had an email this morning from a guy, uh, a steward, who emailed me and said, um, I listen to a lot of Christian music. Every time I, uh, he goes running and he puts on his iPod and he listens to Christian music and he says, is there, is there Christian music I shouldn't be listening to and all that sort of stuff? Now, I'm, I'm not a... I, haven't got, I, I sort of listen to, well, we, we tend to do all the older stuff, don't we? Um, and I'm not familiar with a lot of the latest bands, so I really can't tell. I can't say, yeah, that band's good or that band's bad. I should do a bit of a study on it. But I just said, look, um, firstly, you've got to read the lyrics and find out, are these theologically accurate? Because you don't want to be singing bad theology. And the, the next thing is, is um, listen to the production. Does it sound like the world? Is it a worldly production? Does the singer sound like the latest singer that's out there in the world today? Because a lot of them I've heard, um, I remember, I can't remember the name of the, there was an artist that came out in the world and she had a very peculiar sounding voice, very unique, 
and she got the attention of the world for a short time. And next thing I know, there was a Christian, I heard a Christian band and someone using that nearly the identical voice. So what it was like, church was copycatting the world and the, the production, the musical production even had a, so Nelly Furtado, I think it was. Remember Nelly Furtado? She had a unique sort of voice and then I heard a Christian singer, I can't remember who it was because I wasn't familiar with her. Sounded just like her. So we've got to listen to that. Also, you've got to watch the clips and look at the, the way the bands are um, showing themselves. Are these guys trying to make themselves look like superstars or is there a sense of awe for God when you listen and watch their clips? Does the music honour God or is it honouring man? And if you see someone standing there like this with a scarf around his neck and his hair blowing in the wind or something like that and he's looking like the most beautiful guy on the planet... I wouldn't buy that music. You know what I mean? Celebrity. Celebrity Christians. Is that how they look, Daniel? That's what I sort of imagine, you know. <laughs> should have a, like a fan in here, shouldn't I? You'll see my hair going... <laughs> Need a scarf, yeah. All right. Oh, we got more from Bill, uh, Paul Bilheimer. Here is one of the greatest values of praise. It decentralizes self. Decentralizes. Who knows we could all do with a bit of decentralizing? Aren't we living in a self-centered world? And don't we all get driven by a culture to be self-centered? It's all about me. To the point where... People today find it hard to encourage anyone else because if they're not getting encouraged, they don't want to encourage anyone else. So everyone holds the encouragement inside. And someone does really good and you don't want to let them know that. You know, we, I see it all the time. You know, I teach music, so I sort of see some very strange, peculiar things. And, and anyone who's a teacher, you know, in schools will see it. In parents who won't acknowledge other kids that are doing well because they only will acknowledge their own child. And there's all this sort of stuff. And, and in the church, should that be there? Should this self-centered stuff be there? Or should it be God-centered? And should we not be full of encouragement for each other and building each other up and lifting each other up? That's the true church. You know, that's what we're meant to do. So the, here is one of the greatest values of praise. It decentralizes self. The worship and praise of God demands a shift of center from self to God. The worship and praise of God demands a shift. It demands a shift. And sometimes I feel as we worship that I sort of start to shift by around the third song. Do you know what I mean? And we're just starting to, I feel a shift sort of taking place and then the sort of the worship comes to a close. And in thinking about that, I also think about um, a, a book I'm reading at the moment called The Welsh Revivals. It's, I can't remember the complete title, but it's a book about... Um, this guy has collated all these letters and, and, and editorials and stuff that took place during the Welsh revivals, what the newspapers were writing and what different ministers of that day were re reporting. And this book is a collection of, of articles like that. And one of the things they said about the, the revival in Wales was it was three quarters of it, three quarters of every service, and every service would last from anywhere from two to four or more hours, and every service was 75% worship and prayer. 75%. Very little teaching. Very little. But people, without even having to be taught to repent, were falling on their knees and repenting. Because when God is in the house, people repent. You know, could you imagine it? There's a reason why people were on their faces continually during that revival, was because when you're in the presence of God... You can't help but get down on your face and say, woe is me, all to you, glory be unto you. I am nothing, you are everything. So worship is key, worship is key. The worship and praise of God demands a shift of centre from self to God. One cannot praise God, truly praise God, without relinquishing occupation with self. If you don't relinquish your self-occupation, you truly can't worship in spirit and truth. 
If you're standing there the whole time in the worship and you're thinking, oh, I'll, I won't sing any louder because people might hear me or um, thinking about something that happened during the week and, you know, who knows, our thoughts get flooded with all sorts of things. You know, oh, Matthew just hit a wrong note or, you know what I mean? There's a whole range of things that we start thinking about. And when that happens, we, we've got we've to we've go deeper. We've got to get beyond all these things. You know, to the point where even if Matthew is playing terribly, we don't care. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> don't spit it out, my last one. <laughs> All right, so when, when praise becomes a way of life, the infinitely lovely God, rather than the bankrupt self, I like that, we're bankrupt. Who knows? Anything, any wealth we have in us is now Christ. Because we're bankrupt. You know when a business is bankrupt, that's it. They're through. If, they, if that person is bankrupt and can't make another cent in a country or whatever, and, and he, he's provided for from that, if he's provided for from that time on, everything he's getting is just a handout. You know, we're bankrupt, spiritually speaking. And we're filled with the Holy Spirit and everything now comes from God. All our righteousness is from God. And that's why we must be holy because he fills us with his righteousness. He fills us with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is called Holy Spirit for a reason. Because he's holy. We're unholy, he's holy. So guess what? If we start living an unholy life, isn't that evidence that the Holy Spirit is not working in us? As a, and I'm always bringing this up, aren't I? keep going over the same ground but it's important so when praise becomes a way of life the infinitely lovely God rather than the bankrupt self becomes the center of worship thus the personality becomes properly integrated and destructive stresses and strains disappear our personality becomes properly integrated we become sound mentally Spiritually, we become sound. We become sound, whole people. People the way we're intended to be. The Christian people that God died to make us. That's who we become. So if there's issues with us and issues in our life, that should all be sorted as we worship and praise God and release occupation with ourselves and focus on Him and Him alone. So thus the personality becomes properly integrated and destructive stresses. Who knows stress is destructive? Yeah? Anyone here suffered from stress? Yeah? Does, does all of us have our day when, we, when stress gets us and starts to eat away at our life, starts to mess with us on a daily basis? And how many people have had their days ruined? Could you count the amount of days you've had ruined through stress and anxiety and pressures of life? How many Christians are getting their days ruined through those things? But as, as we worship God, as we... As we get off ourself, all those things fall away as we just focus on Jesus and him alone. All those destructive stresses and anxieties of life start to fall away and Jesus becomes our all. And then he starts to, his Holy Spirit starts to manifest in us in greater ways and we start to live a more holy, righteous life. We start to uh, get above the things of the world. You know what I mean? And, and, and think about it. You get two people, one per and they're both suffering from the same amount of stress. One person can get on with his day and it doesn't phase him. The next person can't get on with his day and it does phase him. What's the difference? One has a properly integrated life or, or personality. The other one has a less integrated. So if God can make us properly integrated so that no matter what happens in our day, we can get on with it and we can... Get above it and overcome it. Amen? Yeah, and that's what it's all about. It's about us shining for God. It's about us overcoming. We become overcomers. Isn't that what we're called? Overcomers? Well, let's be overcomers. Don't just say, oh, we're an overcomer. Let's actually overcome. Overcome everything that gets thrown our way. And it all comes back to worship. comes back to worship. And if you get, your life, get a lifestyle of worship happening... Prayer starts to overflow, and prayer is the overflow of that. When you, when you fill a cup and, 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 and you get to the top, and if you keep pouring, what happens? It overflows. So when you go into the prayer closet, if you go into the prayer closet and you're dry and you're, empty, you're like a cup, 
you need to get filled up first. And when you start to pray, sometimes you, you find, I, I don't know, sometimes who feels muted? Have you ever had that? You just can't even find a word. And you feel drained. Start to worship. Start to worship and it's like God goes, here you go. Here you go. And when you get filled right to maximum, it starts to overflow. And that's all prayer. Prayer starts to flow out of your life. And that's what you want. You want prayer to flow out of your life. You don't want it to be a burden. You don't want it to be this horrible thing that you get really anxious about. Oh, here we go, prayer time. And you get in the prayer room and dry. You want to overflow. Amen? Amen. So as the personality becomes properly integrated, destructive stresses and strains disappear. This results in mental wholeness. Praise, I love this last sentence here, praise produces forgetfulness of self and the forgetfulness of self is health. Isn't that amazing? Praise produces forgetfulness of self and the forgetfulness of self is health. You know, when you come into this room and start to worship, forget who you are. Forget all about you. It's not about you now. It's about God. This is where we give to him. And as you give to can you outgive God? You know, you can't outgive God. And I'm not talking from, a, I know the churches love to use that for, for giving into the offering. You know, but that's, I, 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 have, have you ever heard me mention that from the pulpit? I never mentioned that. And, and that's something that I think the teachings of the 20th century and the 21st century has gone so deep into. I never have to mention it in this church. You know, everyone's got their own convictions on that and I don't want to influence that. I want to let the Holy Spirit uh, you, uh, do that one with all of you. Um, and whichever way it goes. I'm, I'm, one person says, should I give 10% of income? I said, well, are you convicted with that? That's up to you. Another one says, um, I don't think you should. Well, that's up to you. It's, uh, I, I'm not going to try to tamper with your convictions. But as they read the scriptures, if they become people of the book, you know what I mean? As they become people that read the scriptures, they'll get the right conviction eventually if they take to heart what's written in there. Vina and I have got our own convictions in relation to that. We won't let you know about that. Um, but it's what we stick with, you know? And, and I think it's the same with most of us here. So, um, but... Can you outgive God when it comes to blessing God? You, when you get in the worship, this is your time because you think about it. If you brought in, you know, a hundred tons of gold and you said, here, God, this is for you, would God be impressed? Well, you know, does God need gold? Does God need any of those things? And what about if that person gave all that gold and then he's the most wicked man around? Will that gold get him into heaven? You can't buy your way to heaven, can you? But if that man came in and worshipped with everything in, within him, he just gave everything out to God in worship and love and adoration and he forgot all about himself and it was just all about him. And he just, after he leaves church, he just worships all the way home. Then he gets home, he puts on worship CDs and as he's doing his things around the house, he's just continually worshipping and praising him and praising him and he goes all week like that and comes back the next Sunday and he's in it again. You know, did that cost as much as giving him, you know, 100 million tons of gold? But which one will buy God's love? Well, not buy it, you know what I mean? Which one will get God's love? The gold or the worship? The worship's what he's looking for. He's looking for the heart. He wants his people lock, stock and barrel. He wants every part of you. He doesn't want you to hold back anything from him. He just wants you to give it all to him. And all I can say is this. If you give him your all, you will live a hundred times, thousand times better life than you're living now. You can't help but live a better life. You can't help it. Because it's when you offer him your heart, that's what he wants. He, went, he, he wants your heart so much that God went to the cross. That's how much he wants your heart. That's, he's showing you, I, hey, this is how much I want to I draw close to you. I'm going to die on a cross for you. I'm going to suffer the most torturous death for you so that you can have eternity in my kingdom. I love you that much. That's an expression of my love for you. Now, 
all he wants back from us is our worship and our adoration, our love, you know? You know, as parents, as parents, when you've got little kids, you've got little kids, and you know there's a, an age where the little kids just running up and always jump up and they give you big hugs and then they put them down and they run away and they come back again and they jump up and give you a big hug. And You know that time when there's, the little kids are like that? They're not, they're not like that anymore when they get older. Well, they still give you hugs, but it's not the, not the same as when they're little. You know, who knows that little children can be really super cute? You know what I mean? Because of that, when they love you, their mum and dad, they just want to hug you and kiss you and tell you, Mummy, Daddy, I love you. You know, they just love to express that love. And he wants us to be like little children to enter the kingdom of heaven. You must become, he actually said, you must become as little children. So that same love that you had when you were two or three or four years old for your parents, and that love and that adoration and that, you know, even worship to a degree, because to, to them, you, you're everything. That's what he wants from us. To be like little children, come to him and just reach out to him with everything. That's what he wants when we worship. He wants every, every drop of our childlike love and worship. You know what I'm saying? There is nothing more exhilarating in the universe than worshipping the Lord in his presence. There's nothing more exhilarating. You know I've read accounts of heavenly visits and whether you think they're true or not, that's beside the point. Um, but I've read a lot of accounts and actually Christianity has one unique boast and Bill discovered this. It's the only faith on the planet that has hundreds if not thousands of people who claim to have had heavenly encounters with Jesus in heaven and hell as well. It's the only faith on the earth that has... If you go on YouTube and search up um, heavenly visits or whatever, you will get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of accounts. Now, even if you know, 50% aren't true, I believe from just the enormity of it that the essence of it is true. And then you get this, Muslims having heavenly encounters with Jesus. Muslims, hard-nosed Muslims that would die for, for Allah having heavenly visits with Jesus and turning to Jesus even at their own detriment. You know, many of them being persecuted and a lot of them bringing their own families to the faith because of their, their testimonies of what they experienced. So when you get those sort of testimonies, people that are willing to die not to turn away from a vision that they'd received, doesn't that give credibility? That gives a lot of credibility. So Christianity is the only faith that does that. And, and Bill one day was telling his, uh, a Muslim friend of his about that, about some heavenly encounters. And he says, oh, yeah, no, there's plenty of um, Muslims on, on the internet that have had heavenly encounters with Muhammad and Allah and, and so on. And he goes, oh, really? Okay, well, let's, let's search them out. And Bill got on the computer, searched, searched, high and low, high and low, high and low, couldn't find one. Not one. You know? And... Anyway, from these accounts, I, I now realise because I digressed off my original point. Um, from these accounts, there was one person that said that they entered into a worship service in heaven. And they couldn't tell how long the service lasted, but it could have been from 20 minutes to 10 to 12 hours. They had no concept of... They just said... Because they'd been in heaven and they'd seen a lot of different things in heaven. They said, the best part of heaven is worship. The best part. Not the worst part. Well, not the most boring part. The best part. That's where they wanted to be. That's what they wanted to do most of the time. So they went into this worship service and as they were worshipping, the difference was they could see God. They could see the God they worshipped. And as they worshipped, he was changing like colours and, and it, his glory was just, just changing as they, kept on, as they kept on gazing upon him and as they kept on worshipping him. God 
manifested himself in so many different wonderful ways and in each time they did just ways of love was coming from God and it was the most magnificent thing if you just read this description it just blows your mind but you know what we can enter into that here on earth we can enter into that level of worship here on earth and and I was reading these accounts of the Welsh revivals and they were, this one man said he walked into the service and he sort of had to because there was thousands of people that you couldn't get in. But he got in somehow and he snuck in through the back way and he came in. As he entered in, he says, the glory of the worship, he had never experienced it. it the intensity of what was taking place in there and, and the orderliness of it. They said there was no disorder in it. It would just sort of ebb and flow and, and there was no instruments as well. So we won't need you, Matthew. Ebb and flow. There was just these beautiful choruses of praise just coming up and a lot of them spontaneous songs that everyone would just automatically sing as if they all knew them. Just the words would just come to their mouths and supernatural things were taking place. When I read that, I was going, man, I want that. Not man, God, I want that. <laughs> You know what I mean? Wouldn't it be great if God just took over the service and I didn't have to preach? That would be awesome. You know, God just came up and then, you know, one of us might have one word for us and that's all we need to just take us even deeper. You know, and then prayers would be lifted up at different areas of the church and, and it just keeps on going. It keeps on building and keeps on building. That's what I believe God's taken us into. That's what I believe is the secret to revival and getting the presence of God into the house. Amen. We experience that we on Wednesday night now. It's a prayer and worship night. And um, it's wonderful, isn't it? Because you, 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 you worship and then we, then we do times of prayer and then we enter back into the worship. You know, and I, I try to, because I was playing the guitar on that night and I was trying to find, you know, I didn't want to sort of, uh, interrupt the flow, so I had to be very careful. When do I start worshiping again? And you know, so bring the music back and things like that. So um, I, they didn't do to me what I did to you, Bill. Made you play for the whole service for an hour. <laughs> you poor guy. Your fingers must have been hurting. Supernatural, see? Supernatural ability to keep playing. But um, we've got to go deeper, guys. We've got to go deeper. We've got to forget ourselves in worship and we've got to just drop it all and just keep on focusing on him and we've got to use worship as the entrance point into greater things. So every service we come in, we start to worship and we just lift up his name until we get to a certain point to where God is so glorified in the church and then we flow from that point. And I don't want to have you know, programs to get in the way of that in the future too. I want to make sure that, you know, we give God plenty of room to move. So, um, but it all comes down to our hearts, our hearts in it. Are we coming in here with that passion to see God move at this degree, in this degree, and at that level? And I believe he does. And I've been in services where the worship has taken us to very incredible levels. Any act that we do becomes not, that becomes nothing more than an unfeeling discipline is nothing more than chasing after the wind. You know, if it just becomes an unfeeling discipline, if it just becomes our oh, worship time, praise you, Lord, you know, you're just standing there and it's just a thing we go through. We get through this time and then we get on to the next. We just sort of wait for it. Any time that happens, chasing after the wind. And that's not the wind of the Holy Spirit you're chasing either. It's just the wind. But God does not manifest himself in dead religious activity. I can't count the hours, this is me personally, I can't count the hours I've spent worshipping him religiously with no effect in heaven or in me. And when I say religiously, as in that discipline of just doing it, going through the motions. I'm, I'm sure I'm not alone. Worship must become heart-driven and intense with love and passion to move God and to cause a true change in our character. Love and passion for God to change our character. Amen. Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen. Let's turn there. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Who wants to find God? Yeah. Who wants God in the house? 
Yeah? Well, we've got to seek him, we've got to worship him, we've got to praise him, we've got to pray to him with all our heart. We've got to give him all our heart. The Lord is saying that if we seek him with all our hearts, we shall find him. We will not find God any other way. When God becomes our obsession, when we live and breathe the desire to know God personally, then we will find him. When we live to know him personally, and we all do know him personally to a degree, but you know you can know someone and you can, every time he sees you, you know, he walks past and he might say, hey, Anthony, how you going? And you go, hey, hey, Jack, how's things? You know? But you, you know him, but you don't know him. You know what I mean? You don't want to be like that with God. You want to go past and he sees you, hey, Anthony, hey, what are you doing? Should we get a coffee? You know what I mean? And you sit down and spend an hour with Jack. You know, you want to know God like that. You want to have that intimate relationship that you can call him your friend. Who was called the friend of God? Who? Moses was a friend of God. Sorry? John? Yeah, yeah, he was the beloved. I think it was Abraham. Was They're all friends? Yeah. Well, you've just gone and added a whole bunch of extras. I was just thinking of Abraham. But yeah, the, they're all his friends, aren't they? And we're all his friends. Sorry? John the Baptist. Yeah, yeah. He was, he was a cousin, I think, of Jesus. Yeah. Cousin and friend. Some of your best friends can be in your family, can't they? And we're in the family of God, so, yeah. Now, if we lack sincere earnestness to praise and worship God, we will not please God. We can stand there and go through the motions of worship, but not really have our hearts in it. True worship comes from deep within our hearts. It comes from so far down. It just bubbles forth. And if you feel as we're in worship that you're just not getting there, then we've got to make sure you do. We've got to go deeper. We've got to go deeper until we can really get a hold of God. Amen. And I'm going to have to seek the Holy Spirit on this, and I think we all should. You know, we have to start to be very sensitive. Does the Holy Spirit want us to continue in worship at this moment or is it a good time to stop do you know what i mean we've got to start to get that level of sensitivity so that we don't cut off something that god wants to continue and if that means we just you know cut um cut off things like even blow off the sermon i'm 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 up for that if we can get a hold of god because who know knows if you spend an hour with god in this room it's a much better than an hour with Rob in this room. You know what I mean? I'm not saying the Holy Spirit's not here now. I'm not saying God's not here. I'm not saying that as I speak that the Word of God doesn't penetrate your hearts and stuff. And, you know, there's blessing in all of that. We've got to preach the gospel. But who wants God in the house? Who wants uh, to have an encounter with Him? You know what I mean? And it, when I'm reading these accounts, some of you, you really should start reading accounts of revivals. To me, I've, I'm, a, I'm a fan of biographies. I'm a, fa I'm a fan of books of teaching and books of apologetics, and I'm a fan of all that stuff. But I reckon my, the thing I love reading the most is about revivals. When you hear of a, a certain town where there's like 30,000 people and every single one of them turned to Jesus within a week period... When you hear of the story behind that, it's mind-blowing. You just, that actually happened on planet Earth. Satan was around and he let that happen. Well, he had no choice because God was there. You know what I mean? God's there. I, was, I had an analogy. You know, if, if you've got a cat, a real hungry cat, and you put the cat in the room, do you reckon a mouse is going to come in the room? You know what I mean? When God's in the room, Satan's not coming in. You know what I mean? He'd be as crazy as that mouse to come in and a hungry cat looking at him like, dinner. You know what I mean? God, God wants to do something. I know he does. Actually, you know why I can say that? It's not because you know, I've got any supernatural insight. God actually wants to do something in this church. He always wants to do something. He's in the business of revival. That's what God lives for in a sense. To see his people revived and alive in his presence. He doesn't want to see us oppressed and depressed in his presence. 
But he allows us to go through dry periods. He allows a church to go through dry periods until they wake up and say, I know what's missing. God, God's missing. He wants it to be real to you. And, and I was reading a book the other day and, and the, the guy was talking about that, you know, men are, are the, the world wants God. They spend a fortune on psychics and tarot card reading and, and you know, um, star signs and, and, you know, they're ringing up these astrology people on, on TV and they're asking for their future to be read and they're pulling out all these horrible cards and, you know, the tarot card thing that they do on TV. Who's seen that? On TV, there's a couple of channels nearly devoted to it. They're, they're spending a fortune to hear from something as this man said, that the church is failing to give them. Right? People want to know. People want to have that assurance that things can get a bit better. And it, there's nothing greater than knowing Jesus Christ and living for him completely. And when you live for him completely, things will get better. Amen? So people are spending a fortune searching for, in a sense, God or supernatural encounters, but we're not giving, them, giving it to them in the church. So they're going to the, the demonic side. They don't care as long as they get a supernatural word. And the person will normally say, you've been married? And I go, yes. I said, and you're now divorced? Yes. And you're planning to move? Yes. <laughs> and then they're sold after that, the, you know. And, but the church, I'm not saying that church starts doing that sort of stuff. I'm just saying the church should be a place where people come to have an encounter with God. You know? And what the church has been up to this time, not in every church, I'm saying in, in the predominant church, the predominant church has been people come to have an encounter with God and to their, um, uh, what's the word? Yeah, disillusionment. Very good, Vina. You know what I was going to say. Vina knows me. So to their disillusionment, they have an encounter with man. And when you come to have an encounter with God, you get an encounter with man instead. You know, it's, you get disillusioned. And people leave the church. You know? We're supposed to be the place in the community where people can come to meet God. This is what we're for. And we're supposed to be God's representatives. We're supposed to shine. And you know what? If we want to shine, start to worship. Start to become more like him. And you enter, as you enter into the worship, he become, you become more and more like God. Not, you don't become gods. I'm never going to teach that one, as some people do. I know there were some big ministers that used to teach you become little gods. They call them little gods. Big ministers, big name ministers in the world today. Some that you would all have listened to and trusted. They were teaching that you become little gods. Strange thing. They took a few of the scriptures that talk about gods um, and they misinterpret it. But we don't become gods. We become like God in qualities, certain qualities, favorable qualities of God. Amen. And people can feel it, people can feel the difference. And we get that through time spent with him. Do you know you become like those you spend time with? You know, it says bad company corrupts good character. So if, you go, if you've got six really, really, really bad mates and you're trying to be a good person, <laughs> you've got Buckley's of becoming a good person if you're going to hang with six evil mates. You know what I mean? Discard, I'm not saying just actually, change the word. Don't discard them, pray for them. Limit time and association with them and spend more time with people you want to be like. You know, i.e. Jesus. Spend more time with Jesus. Spend time in his presence. Spend time worshipping God. And you become more and more and more and more like him. Amen. Tune in. The Holy Spirit draws true worship out of our hearts as he gives us a revelation of who it is that we serve. We serve the most powerful existence in the universe. Get a revelation of this and learn to quickly tune in when you're in a worship service and stir yourself up in your most holy faith. If you come into the church and you know on a Sunday and you walk in and you just don't feel, you know, you're sort of standing there going, oh man, and the worship starts and you're just sort of like, you know, trying to muster a bit, you just got to say to yourself, you know what, forget it, I'm just going to throw myself into it. 
And uh, an example of that I'll use is myself in the sense that, you know, most services I don't feel like jumping in with a big voice. But I'm, I have to. Even though I don't feel like it, I'm thinking, no, I'm just gonna, I have to. I've got to lead the way in a sense. So whether I f want to or not, I launch into it with a big voice. Because you all expect me to. You'd be thinking, what's wrong with Rob? If Rob's there going, you know, draw me close to you. I can't hear Rob. Is he singing over there or is his lips moving? You'd think that's strange, wouldn't you? Well, don't let, have that own expectation of yourself. Say, what am I doing? I'm whispering here. You know, come on. Give, give, give God everything. And muster that up as if the church was expecting you to muster up that sort of a confidence in, 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 in singing. And you know what? It doesn't matter if you've got a great voice or not. Who knows that? You know? And it doesn't matter if you sing out of tune. It just matters. Your heart is what matters. And I remember Vina and I were in a, in a service once and there was this guy, this older man, he was standing behind me. And he, oh, man. Like, I teach music all day and I'm thinking, man, is this one of my piano students behind me? The, guy, the kid that makes all the, you know, errors continuously. But he had a shocking voice. Shocking. And if I was just in that whole thing of, like, I can't get into this because of that guy, you know? But what got me was his heart. He was the loudest bad singer in the world. <laughs> and it was amazing. I was like, this guy's blowing me away. Like, I can't help but like, well, like what was coming out of him. Couldn't look at him straight after that moment. But he had, a, he had a shocking voice. But it didn't matter to him. And that's, that's what it's all about. And I'm sure as we keep singing with all our voice, we'll get better. Not that it's about that. I can give you singing lessons if you're really self-conscious. Or Vina can. Huh? There's always hope. Yeah. All right. So, and we'll keep on going. I want to see God's glory in the church. Amen. Who wants to see God's glory in the church? Yeah? Isn't that what it's all about? Really, when it comes down to it, it's about... God showing up the church. You can feel it, and at times you can even see it. Let's read 2 Chronicles 7, verse 1 to 3. This is not 7.14. This is 1 to 3. Who knows what I'm going to read? It's up to us, the body of the church, the lay hold of God. 7, verse 1 to 3. Who knows when Israel were traveling through Egypt, you could see God in a dark cloud above Israel. He went with them. He was visible, you know. But listen to this. Now Solomon, this is when the temple was finished, um, the temple that David wanted to build, but he wasn't able to. God wouldn't let him. Solomon built the temple, and he spent a lot of money on it. And it was an incredible temple, probably the best temple ever on earth. And at the dedication of that temple, they dedicated a, a huge amount of cows and you know, calves and whatever else, and offerings. There was a lot of offerings, bulls and goats. When Solomon finished praying, he prayed this prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. So fire came from heaven. Now you can either think, oh, that's just a story, a fictional story, or we can believe it. Fire came down from heaven, the Bible says, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple the priests listen to this the priests could not enter the temple of the lord because the glory of the lord filled the temple the glory of the lord so the priests couldn't enter so it's like they went up to the door and they're pushing the door and they're going and it go, opens up and then it comes back again it's like okay the glory of the lord is pretty strong he's not letting us in and if you manage to get in you could probably only do it crawl if possible because I've heard of you know some revivals where the presence of God is so strong that people have to crawl to get in crawl I can't wait for the day that I'm I'm in here and the presence of God is so strong in here that you know Anthony comes crawling through the door and crawls in and finds his seat and can't get on it he's just on his face before God you know wouldn't that be awesome that the glory of the Lord can fill this place when all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good, 
His love endures forever. He is good and His love endures forever. Isn't that a powerful account? So the final move of God, I believe the final move of God that will sweep over the whole earth will be a corporate ignited move of the Holy Spirit in worship and prayer. That's what I really believe is where the church is going to be. And the reason I believe that is because pretty much, you know, it's a common theme through history that God responds to worship. God responds to his people who are in worship. This has been the case since the beginning and will be so again. So if we learn to truly worship God and become the people that the Father is seeking, he will open the floodgates of heaven upon this church and allow a magnificent revival to occur. And I encourage you all to read some accounts of revivals. Find them. You can, you can watch videos of them online on YouTube. Look up Christian revivals throughout history. There's a guy that... Um, oh, you didn't ever saw them. I gave you on the USB that doesn't work. But this guy did uh, church history, an account of church history, and he went through right from the beginning for 2,000 years. I uh, can't remember his name, but I, if you want to know more, I can tell you later. And he did sermon, sermons on each... Uh, different era through church history and he went through the great revivals of John Wesley and, and Charles Finney and, and, the, um, and a range of other things, the Layman's Prayer Revival and I think he did the Welsh Revival and, and a few other things. So, but there's loads of stuff you can see. But the reason I, I believe that we're looking into the face of the last great move of the Holy Spirit on the earth and we know Joel 2.28 talks about the pouring out of his spirit on all flesh. And we know that Peter spoke about that, saying this is what was told by Joel back on the day of Pentecost. Now, Peter didn't say that um, it's complete now. That's the final move of God. And, and I'll pour my spirit out on all flesh and this is it. And it will not be so again. But there's been many Pentecosts. There's been many pouring outs of the Spirit throughout the last 2,000 years. But the final one is the one that Joel specifically referenced, is before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Now that's significant at this time in history. And there's a number of reasons, but the one I'm just going to keep, um, I've brought up a few times before, I'm going to bring it up again, is that we are on the cusp of of the Antichrist being revealed on earth. And the reason I know that is because Revelation 13 talks about a marking system that's going to be introduced. And that marking system will be mean you cannot buy or sell unless you take this mark. And people will say, well, that's not in yet. Yes, but the technology is in. Is the technology in the shops right now? They call it pay pass, right? You just wave your hand over the thing. They've trained us up to do it. You know, you just use your card and it's easier. Everyone sort of tends to... You start off by wanting to put the card in and press your code and stuff, but eventually you're just like, oh, tap. Tap and go. Do you know what I mean? So they've trained us to that point, but the system's ready for us to receive a mark. And then we just go... Or if that's no good, scan. You know, on, on the forehead. Now... Why I'm bringing that up is not to put fear into you because we shouldn't fear, you know, end times. We only should fear God. And if we fear God, we will not fear end times. Amen. But I bring that up because if that is the system and, and there's never been a system like this in 2,000 years and this prophecy in, in Revelation 13 has been sitting there for 2,000 years and has never, ever been close to being fulfilled in 2,000 years, has it? Have we seen a marking system that's going to spread over the whole earth? I think that's what they're waiting for, personally. I think the reason why we're not getting marked right now is because these pay pass systems aren't everywhere in the world yet. But they're rapidly moving towards it. They're rapidly, because they've got to get those systems into the third world nations. They've got to get to the point. And I don't know how many of you are travellers here. Have you ever seen them in third world countries? Have you seen pay pass? But I'm pretty sure it's happening through a lot of the main, mainland, you know, uh, Western civilization is, is... But it's still got a little way to go, and I think that's the hold-up. I think that's what's holding it up. The reason I say that is, is because if that's the case, if this system is the one that Jesus talked about in the book of Revelation from 2,000 years ago, 
then we're on the cusp of, of that being fulfilled, Revelation 13, which is the Antichrist forcing everyone, old and young, free and slave, rich and poor, to receive a mark. To receive a mark. That means you're going to be forced to take it. Whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not, you're going to get forced to take a mark. And people around the world, currently there's people that are actually willingly taking a mark because they just think it's safer. Have, the, have my credit card in my wrist, no one can steal that. Right? So if that's the case, then the Antichrist is rising. That means Jesus is also coming. That means his return is very near very near and it could never have been nearer than now and now say it takes 30 years to get these systems into all the countries of the earth we got 30 years but say it's only six years until they get the systems in i'll tell you when these rich mega rich people start to move if they want to get a system through every single town and every single part of the world they can make it happen nearly overnight they just come in with their cables roll them out there you go it's in they got the money to put a million people on the job and get it done in no time at all. Now, I, I, all I'm saying this for is because that means that a great revival is on the cusp. If Jesus is about to return, if the Antichrist is rising, he says, before the coming of the great dreadful day, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Now, is that potentially the first thing that's going to happen. We're going to have a revival. There's going to be a revival that's going to come upon all flesh and it's going to happen very, very soon, I believe. But then after that revival, as in many of the great revivals of the past, um, many revivals were followed by terrible advents. I think it was the you know, Azusa Street Revival and the Welsh Revivals was followed by World War I. And there was revivals pre that in... in uh, uh, through history and they were followed by terrible terrible wars and things that took place so all I can say is this we need to worship we need to worship we need to be found worshipping and whether you believe what I'm saying about these end time scenarios it really doesn't matter because I know some people in the church don't want to hear it they don't want to hear about marks of the beast and all that it all seems fictional well, the Bible says it. I've as much, put as much stock in that as I put in any other thing Jesus says. I put stock in that. If Jesus says, hey, there's going to be this system that's going to come in, I believe it. And when I see evidence for it now in the world, where 100 years ago there was no evidence for it, then I go, very close, right at the door. He's right at the door. That means we've got to worship. We've got to be found worshipping. He's going to come and guess what? He wants to find if there's worshippers there. Will he find faith on the earth, it says, in those days? So let's be found to be worshipping Jesus. Amen? Let's be found to be worshipping Jesus. I think that's the best place because it will be above everything else that's going on in the world. Amen. All right. So let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I just thank you for this message, Lord, and I, I thank you for these wonderful people um, uh, patiently hearing me out on this, uh, with this sermon. And I just pray for a, a real move of the Spirit to take place in this church. I pray that we can uh, go deeper than we've ever gone before. Um, I pray that you can really move us in, in worship and move us in prayer and turn us into the church that we're meant to be, Lord. I pray every single person here will be touched and impacted by the Spirit of God. And uh, just move upon us, Lord Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen.